I'm Pastor Tim, the executive pastor. I'm preaching this morning. By the way, the guy that did the announcements who always tells us to introduce himself and didn't introduce himself was Pastor John. Um, and things are a little flip-flopped this morning, and the reason they're flip-flopped is because Pastor John is preparing to speak at um, Hydro next week, so I'm preaching this week to give him the time to do that. Um, before we get started, I've been asked, or I actually want to make an announcement to you about our property down the street. Um, next Saturday, I want to tell you we are going to have the first annual GCC Weed Elimination Celebration. <laughs> 7 a.m. to noon. Uh, again, that's next Saturday. I will be out there. Um, we'd like to ask you to bring some shovels, bring a shovel, um, gloves, anything that will chop a weed off at the roots, and uh, we'll have some water and shade out there. I do want to let you know that this is one of those things that you can bring your family to, bring the kids. This will be a fun time. We need people to carry those weeds to the dumpster we'll have out there. We're just going to try to clean up the property and be good neighbors. So I want to encourage you to be there for that. Okay. Would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. And while you open there, we'll read it in just a moment. But as you open your Bibles to that passage, I want to make a couple of uh, kind of introductory um, thoughts. Um, the greatest sermon ever preached that is what some have called the Sermon on the Mount that's in Matthew chapter 5 um, through 7. Uh, it's a sermon preached by Jesus, and it's a sermon that I've been preaching through periodically of us as I've had the opportunity to preach. I want to remind you of the theme of the sermon because it will be very important this morning uh, to know this. Really, the overarching theme of the sermon is that it, it really does teach man how how we will always fall short when we compare ourselves to a holy God. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are lost. We are in need of a Savior. And it is only the Lord Jesus Christ who can save us from our sins. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Once a person gives their life to Christ, there's a secondary theme underneath that. Once we give our lives to Christ, we are called to live a certain way as, as citizens of the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount describes how we as believers, we who claim the name of Christ, are to live. It describes how this lifestyle is different than that of the world. We are to live differently than everybody else does as Christians or as believers. And when we do that, our lives provide an, an alternative. Uh, maybe you could call it another option. And we counter or we oppose the world in its way of living by the way we live. I want to let you know that it is, our, it is the greatest, it is our greatest tool of evangelism, how we live our lives, because people are always watching us. People have the opportunity to learn who Jesus is by the way we live our lives. Today we are going to look at a, what I think is a very difficult topic. It's, the, it's kind of the third illustration in a group of six illustrations that are found in the Sermon on the Mount. It has to do with faithfulness and marriage. And we will see, and we see what Jesus has, we will see what Jesus has to say about an issue that has always been a struggle for mankind. <clears throat> I've probably never been so nervous to preach a message. 
not because I'm afraid to be up in front of people, but because of the subject matter. Divorce is such a controversial and complex issue of our society. And when it comes to divorce, you are dealing with an emotionally packed issue that has caused lots of pain for folks. And I want you to know I am aware of this. I'm reluctant to preach this message because there are so many different opinions out there, even within the Christian community. I'm a different pastor than I was when I was hired here in 1989. I am much more aware of things now that I've had some experience. And now there's a tension in this message that I want you to know that I'm aware of, and the tension is this. I, and I think you're going to see me kind of battle with this tension throughout this, this message. I do not want to exacerbate the pain and suffering of people who have gone through this. I really don't. I don't think that's my place. On the other hand, as a pastor, I do not want to justify sin. And that is a real tension. I hope you can catch that. But I am most reluctant because of the words of James in James 3.1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know you who teach will be judged more strictly. And this passage scares me because I am charged with teaching the Word of God on this day, and it scares me to death. And I just want you to know that's there. <laughs> so I, I know Stephen prayed a beautiful prayer for this sermon this morning, but I'd like to pray again. Would you join me? Well, Father, I would just pray a prayer that many have prayed before me. I'm sure many pastors have prayed this prayer. The psalmist prayed it. May the words of my, of, my, of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Let's read Matthew 5, 31 to 32 together. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. And we're going to walk through several passages this morning. There's a couple of things that I think we need to point out here in this passage before we move to some, some other passages to get more clarification. Uh, one is the issue of marital unfaithfulness. I want to deal also with the certificate of divorce, and it would seem right to deal with that first since that comes first, but we've got to go to another passage. So let me say something about the the marital unfaithfulness. Jesus says divorce can only happen when there's marital unfaithfulness. And the question is, what does he mean when he uses the word marital unfaithfulness? At least that's the way it's interpreted in the NIV. Some would say marital unfaithfulness is adultery. And clearly, I think adultery can be included in this, um, in the camp of marital unfaithfulness. But it's important to find out um, and I spent a lot of time talking with Pastor John. By the way, we are so grateful to have the pastor we have who really does know the Word of God. He really helped me this week. And as I was grappling with this, I found out that the word that the NIV translates marital unfaithfulness is used here and also in Matthew 19, when we'll look at, look at in a minute, is the word pornea, which is where we get our word pornography. And I'll just... I'll just tell you that to the audience of Jesus, they would hear that word pornea, and they would understand that as more than just adultery. They would see that, that would, that would encompass um, any 
forbidden sexual infidelity. It's not just adultery. It's, it's got a wider meaning to it. And, they, and the people of this culture would have understood that. There is differences of opinion on exactly what the marital unfaithfulness is. And I read a lot of different guys' views on that. And I can tell you, I'm not sure that in a sermon I can say exactly definitively what it is, but I can, I'm comfortable with telling you this. Marital unfaithfulness was not a trivial offense. It was some kind of extreme offense. And as I said a moment ago, it, it's an act of sexual immorality forbidden by God and man. And Jesus says, when he talks about marital unfaithfulness, he's responding to what the culture was, what the culture was um, using. There was an offense that was here. They were using this thing called a certificate of divorce. They were issuing certificates of divorce to divorce their spouse. To understand what the certificate of divorce is, we've got to go to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4, and I'd ask you to turn there. But I do want to share with you a little bit of a, of a kind of a hermeneutical law. You know, uh, hermeneutics is the, is the law of biblical interpretation. And good hermeneutics teaches that context is important and crucial to the right understanding of a passage. And it could be dangerous to bounce around the scriptures in, a t in an attempt to make one's point. But if scripture naturally takes us elsewhere, then it is wise to do that because we are then moved by the scriptures, not by our own presuppositions. So let's look at math at Deuteronomy 24, 1-4, and let me read that to you. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and her husband dislikes her, <laughs> what a bummer to be a woman in that culture, and a husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the, on, upon the Lord your God Sorry, do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now that's hard for us to understand in our culture. There's a totally different culture there. But you need to understand that divorce was in that culture was always initiated by the man. The woman could not divorce her husband in that culture. And the interesting thing there is this certificate of divorce was given when the husband found something displeasing about her or indecent about her. Some think that the indecency and the reason the certificate of divorce was given was because of adultery. But that would not make sense because adul adultery was punishable by death. So I'm prone to believe that this sexual or this this sexual indecency or this thing that the husband found displeasing was something that was carried into the marriage because if it was adultery after they were married she she wouldn't get a certificate of divorce she'd be stoned to death and so it's carried into the marriage i believe secretly only to be discovered at another time 
Again, I don't think it's clear from the scriptures that I could find, which you see why I'm so uncomfortable with this message, because I couldn't come up with some answers that I wanted myself. I don't think it's clear what the indecency was, although I'll make a comment about that a little later from another theologian. But I think it's safe to say, once again, it was not a trivial offense. That's very important to understand. It was some kind of gross indecency. And the other thing to point out here is the certificate of divorce, the thrust of that was not really divorce. The thrust of that was really remarriage. D.A. Carson put it this way, if a man finds uncleanliness in his wife and divorces her, giving her a certificate of divorce, and she then marries someone else who in time also divorces her, then her first husband cannot remarry her because she has been defiled by the second marriage. Now that again is odd for us, and I don't have time to go into that, but I'm telling you the thrust of it was to keep people from dancing in and out of, out of divorce and remarrying one another. Now Jesus responds to the certificate of divorce, and it, and it is clear that what he's doing is he is addressing an abuse in the culture because the people are giving the certificate of divorces and divorcing almost flippantly is the way it appears. And Jesus steps in and, and says, no, that is not good. You can't use the certificate of divorce to justify your divorce. This is why Jesus says, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of, of divorce. And it's, it's key to point out, he says, it has been said this, but I tell you, I mean, I'm paraphrasing now, no, <laughs> that is not acceptable. The only reason to divorce is marital unfaithfulness. So people were dancing in and out of marriage, and Jesus is saying, no, that is not acceptable. Marriage was never meant to be that way. Now, to get some, some further clarification on this, we need to move to Matthew 19. And the reason we want to move there is because this view that Jesus lays out in Matthew 5 is challenged by the Pharisees. Actually, the Pharisees, it's, it says, are trying to trap Jesus. And I think by walking through this gives us some more insights as to what Jesus is trying to teach even to us today. Matthew 19, 3 to 9. Let me read it for you and then we'll talk about it. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Sounds like modern day culture to me. Haven't you read, Jesus replies, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined, let no man separate. Why then, the Pharisees ask, did Moses command, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another commits adultery. Now I'm going to walk through that in just a moment, but I want to give you another little historical um, 
some historical content, context, it's important here to note that during the days of Jesus, there were these schools of thoughts, of thought. It's these rabbinical schools. You would have these rabbis that would teach, and, and you would have one school that was a very narrow, um, would have a narrow view on this issue, and you'd have another school that had a very um, kind of wider view. The narrow view, the, the rabbis that were a part of that school of thought, said that a man was authorized to divorce his wife if he married her on the understanding that she was a virgin and then discovered that she was not. And the evidence was interpreted to mean that she had had illicit sexual relations before marriage. Wow. We, can we even relate to that in our culture? But, and, and it might have been something more than that. That's what F.F. F. Bruce says, is that it was coming into the marriage uh, claiming to be a virgin and then not. And this camp, this very narrow camp said, that's the only reason for the certificate of divorce to be given. Then there was a wider view, and the rabbis that came from that view, and by the way, just like pastors, there was a wide range within the view. This view taught that the indecency was more or less anything which a husband found offensive. She could cease to find quote, find favor in his eyes for a variety of reasons. If she served up badly cooked food, was disrespectful to her husband or his parents in public, or even because he found her less beautiful than some other woman. And for any and all of those reasons, the certificate of divorce could be given. Now see, those two school of thoughts were kind of circulating in the culture. I should note, by the way, because I think it's a good point, that these rabbis were not necessarily trying to justify divorce. They were trying to come to grips with what the Deuteronomy 24 passage says. So let's walk through, now with that in mind, let's walk through the controversy. Here's the burning question in Matthew 19, asked of Jesus. Is divorce acceptable? And they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? The answer from Jesus is no. Divorce was never intended for God's people. And he goes back to the Genesis, to the Genesis account and, and the first couple, and he says this, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? That's Genesis 1.27. And said, for this reason a man will leave his father or mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's the first marriage, Genesis 2.24. So, they are no longer two, but one. And then the words that I say every time after I pronounce a woman husband and wife, therefore what God has joined, let man not separate. But then the Pharisees ask this follow-up question. It's like, aha, we've got him. What do you do with the command of Moses? You can almost, I mean, I'm probably taking some license here, but it's almost like they went, well, what do you do with this? Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Now you need to understand, the Pharisees were a little right, but were slightly wrong. Because Moses did not command them, he gave them a concession. Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not that way from the beginning. 
It was never intended for God's people, in other words. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Now notice, Jesus still allows for the breaking of the marriage covenant. He still allows for sin that's in the world. Moses permitted divorce, and he permitted it, why? Because of the people's hardness of hearts, and I'll come back to that in a moment. It wasn't a command, it was a concession. So what is the issue here? You know, you have this issue of remarriage, committing adultery, marriage, remarriage, and adultery, and a lot of people have struggled with that. And I'm just gonna skirt it for today, because I just don't have time to deal with every issue, but I will tell you this. Marriage, to break the marriage covenant, is seen as an adulterous situation. And so you've got to hang on to that, and I'll come back and try to explain it further. What's going on in Matthew 5 when Jesus makes these statements? Well, what's going on is Scripture is being manipulated to endorse divorce. That's what's going on. And Jesus says this is wrong. Divorce is not proper for God's people. Marriage was always intended to be a lifelong bond. This is really, really, if you, if you just went right down to the core of it, this is really an issue between what we want as people and what God wants as God. Clearly, Jesus was addressing this and saying, listen, this is what God wants and what you're doing is wrong. People want out. God wants us all in. So what do you do with this? Where do we go from here? I'm not ignorant to the fact that there are people sitting in this audience right now that are probably struggling with what's being said here because divorce is so prevalent in our culture. I think I can illustrate the overall message and maybe bring some clarity to it all by telling you two stories. They are true stories about two different ladies they really have two different ways of thinking. In fact, I think you could say two sets of Joneses. In fact, I'm going to use to protect the ladies, although it's my ethic not to talk about folks that are still in our church, I'm going to share these stories with you and use the names of the two ladies in the song we heard at the offering, but, but do know that they are true stories. Evelyn was a Christian lady, or is a Christian lady, who seemed to be very happy in her marriage to me. She came in to see me for advice one day. I'd never um, spent time with her before, and after the pleasantries, you know, after you, you, know, you have those initial, hi, how you doing, how's the family, you know, and that kind of thing, then you ask the question, how can I help you? And she told me that her marriage was over because her husband had been unfaithful to her. I asked Evelyn, what she meant by, quote, he's been unfaithful. She said he committed adultery, uh, which always grieves me, felt sorry for her. Although there was something in the way she said that that caused a little bit of a check in my spirit, if you know what I mean. You've probably been talking with people and they say something that doesn't quite make sense to you. So I asked her a follow-up question as discreetly as I could. Hope it's discreet enough to share with you in this audience. I said, did you catch them in the act? You know, how did she know this? She said, no, but I know he was unfaithful. 
She said, I know they kissed each other. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that if that happened, that was right, but it didn't quite sound the same as the way she initially put it to me. Before I could probe any further, she probably saw something on my face. She said, Pastor Tim, no matter what you say, I hadn't said anything. <laughs> I mean, she came to me for advice. I hadn't even given any advice yet. But she says, no matter what you say, I know he has violated our marriage. And then she said those words, which I have heard all too many times. Pastor Tim, God has given me peace in my heart. Can I remind you, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? We need to be very careful when it comes to these kinds of decisions. She says, the, the Lord, God has given me peace in my heart, and he has released me from this marriage. And my husband is going to divorce me anyway. Well, I said, Evelyn, I'm really sorry this is going on. I really do, you know, feel bad for you. But would it be okay if I maybe tried to meet with your husband before you make any decisions? She said, um, well, he won't meet with you, but you can try. Well, he did meet with me. He was actually very happy to meet with me. And I do think he made him, um, I do think he was involved at least emotionally with a woman a little too much. But he told me a completely different story. By the way, the proverb says, person sounds right until you hear the second, the other side of that story. And whether he had done what she said or not, he really wanted to make the marriage work. I said, okay, good for you. And so I had another meeting with Evelyn, which was, this all happened in about a week. We don't let too much moss grow under the rock in this church. Evelyn was now convinced by the time she came back and saw me the second time that the divorce was endorsed by God and that she had been released. But I, you know, I just thought maybe she didn't realize what her husband felt. So I said, Evelyn, do you realize your husband is really sorry this is going on and he really wants to make this work? I said, is it possible that three of us could get together and talk? And she said, no, because it wouldn't make any difference. She said it wouldn't do any good. It's over. And I knew something was, I was just missing something. You ever have that feeling when you talk to people? So I asked a question. Evelyn, are you involved with someone else? She picked her words very carefully. Well, there is someone else, but he is only helping me through this. But we're just friends. We just talk and... And what? Well, we've only kissed once. But it didn't mean anything. I said, Evelyn, you came to me for counsel. Do you still want my counsel? She said, yes, I do. I said, Evelyn, God hates divorce. Malachi 2.16 says that. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And Evelyn, I'm sorry to tell you, I just do not think you have grounds for divorce. And even if you did have grounds for your divorce, your, your husband still wants to reconcile. I told Evelyn, there was a lot of discussion in this, I'm just kind of giving you the bullet points. I told Evelyn that what I think was going on was that she had given her heart to another and she was using scripture to validate what she wanted to do. And you see, I think Evelyn had 
a hard heart. I believe she had what Jesus was calling a hard heart, um, or at least partially, because see, she couldn't see past what she wanted to what God wanted. And she was picking on trivial things to validate, um, to validate something that is not trivial to God, and that is the marriage covenant. Brian pointed out well that the marriage is a picture of God and how he relates with his people. It's very important to him. But she divorced her husband and she married the other guy. Sue was also a Christian lady who had been in a difficult marriage for years. She had come to me many times for advice about her marriage, children, and life. Her husband had so many problems. He had substance abuse issues, emotional issues of all kinds. Her husband did claim to know the Lord and was for a time even involved in ministry. Sue really labored to be a good example for Jesus, Christian wife, mother, employee. Her husband eventually left the church, actually became very hostile to the Christian faith, committed numerous acts of adultery, ultimately abandoned his wife and his family for other women. My counsel to Sue was very different because, see, Sue already knew God hated divorce. So she lived alone for years. For all intents and purposes, she was a single parent, but still married. I don't think Sue would admit to this because just the, the woman that she is, but I think she was always holding out hope for reconciliation with her husband. She was constantly trying to reach out to him. We had numerous discussions about the relationship and honestly I thought she had multiple grounds for divorce. Adultery, you know the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says if an, if an, unbelieving, if an unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. I really do believe abandonment is a part as a result of this marital unfaithfulness. And I thought Sue really had grounds from a variety of places. But see, she saw divorce as an adultery issue. She didn't want to be disobedient to the Lord. She realized that legally she had grounds for divorce, but she was more concerned about the moral and ethical issues involved. She wanted to do what was right before the Lord. So she stayed single for years. After many years, and I will tell you, even with my encouragement, she finally moved on. Divorce happened, and she is now happily married to another man. I want you to know it brings tears to my eyes because I so respect, respected Sue and her perseverance in the Lord. Sue's heart wasn't hard. In fact, because she wouldn't allow herself to think about herself, all she could see was what was important to God. She wouldn't allow trivial things to move her away from her commitment to the Lord. So she did everything she could to save the marriage. I really think you got two sets of Joneses there, two different ways of thinking, and I think that's what Jesus is trying to help us to see here today. Now I want to make a couple of I want to make at least give you one thought. It's probably more than one thought because I'm a preacher. But, and then I want to quote someone. 
the legalist would tell me not to do this now, but the legalist would be wrong. If you're here today and you feel guilty because you've made a mistake in this area, and by the way, no, no, none of these issues are all the same. Every marriage is different. This is why we want to deal with them individually, because none of them are the same. You cannot lay down a blanket law for everybody in relation to this, and because there's, there's two people involved. But if you're here today and you feel guilty, I want to tell you this. The message, on the, sermon, the message from the Sermon on the Mount is that we all fall short and we need a Savior. And I happen to believe that God forgives. I happen to believe that if a person is truly repentant, that no matter what has happened, they can ask for forgiveness and from that point forward, move on and honor the Lord. 1 John 1.9 says, if you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. And I am sorry that the church sometimes, maybe I'm asking for forgiveness for the entire church, that we have made divorce the unpardonable sin because it is not the unpardonable sin. But I also want to tell you, though, that even as I say that, God's people have to be careful because sometimes what they do is they go out and do things because they know the Lord's going to forgive them. And that is not true repentance. True repentance says, I've done it. I'm guilty. Please forgive me and I'll move on. It grieves me that people sometimes will say, I'm happy I went through a divorce because it's made me the person that I am. And that's not necessarily untrue. But we do not want to endorse it by what we say. So if you have made a mistake, ask for forgiveness and move on from this day forward and be at peace because, God, because the Lord Jesus died on the cross for your sins. But then remember the secondary issue that's here. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we have a responsibility to live in a certain way. We have a responsibility to live by the precepts of the word of God, whether it feels good or not, because it's always right. And how we live is the greatest witness we have for the kingdom of God to an unbelieving world that needs to see another way to live. And it is so easy to divorce in this culture of ours. So easy. You know, all the guys I read on divorce, most of them wanted to point out something, that the Sermon on the Mount is written to God's people. And I, I, that's true. And they want to point out that it's not our place to impose our way of living on to the unbeliever. In other words, don't, don't apply the marriage you know, and divorce issue. Don't make it the same for them because they need Jesus. They don't even understand why we live the way we live. But I'm not concerned about that because frankly, I don't think God's people do anything different than the, than the people in the world anymore. What concerns me is that they spend, that we are affected by the way people live by the way the world lives. In other words, they walk in and out of divorce and they say, well, they did it, so why can't I? My wife and I were on a trip here a few weeks ago. It was a great trip to meet some, some new family of mine. You, most of you know about that. And as we were driving through Alabama, I saw a billboard that just grieved me. It says, make divorce easy, $299. No property, no children. In other words, it's an uncontested divorce, $299, and you're out. 
You get attorney representation, you get full service, you sign up, we do the rest, and you only have to pay half up front. Well, see, it's so easy, I think we're affected by that. And in our culture, part of the problem is we walk in and out of relationships so quickly. And by the way, if you're not married, be very careful who you walk in and out of a relationship with, because you may marry that person. <laughs> we can't set our standards by the world's standards if we claim the name of Christ. I want to recommend a book for you, Secret Believers. It's over in the cafe. Ten bucks. It's not, we're not making money off of it, by the way. That's just what it costs. It has nothing to do with marriage. But I just want to show you how the Lord works. I just finished reading this book this week. And I open, and as I was reading, at the very end of the book, he makes a statement, Brother Andrew, and he's making a statement about how to witness to the Muslim community, because this is about some Muslims that have given their life to Christ and are now trying to live their life for Christ in a Muslim community. It's very inspiring. And so he's writing within the context of how to reach a Muslim community. And so listen to what he, what he, what he says. He's talking about our lifestyle being different. The divorce rate among Christians is no better than that of the culture as a whole. If our morals are the same or only marginally better than the society at large, what message do we have for 1.2 billion Muslims? And I would say, what message do we have for all the unbelievers that watch us? Many Christians will conclude that we need a revival. I'm afraid that is not the answer. Revival only fills the pews. Something far more powerful is needed a cultural reformation. True surrender of our lives to Jesus means we change our way of living. When enough Christians do this, societal structures will change dramatically based on the Word of God. We will address poverty and crime and take care of the sick and infirm and address loose living and decadence. The church in the West has shed too many of its responsibilities and is no longer the guardian of morals. How do we do this, he says? How do we live this life? He says, Paul instructs us, be imitators of God and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Here's the bottom line. The only chance we have against the relentless growth of Islam, or I would say the world, is millions of people revealing through their behavior the love of Christ. We must be imitators of Christ. As you know, <clears throat> I've been meeting some new family, and just this last week I got the opportunity to meet another aunt up in Clovis. She probably only has literally months to live but because she has cancer. I think she's about 90 years old, something like that. But as I, we were talking with her, she was so excited to meet me. You know, this nephew that she didn't even know she had. And so we were talking, and as we were talking, she'd made a comment about, you know, she said, my sister was married to a pastor in Tulare. I said, no kidding. What church? The Methodist church. I said, no kidding. Same. 
His name was Pastor Ford, Clifford Ford. I said, you got to be kidding me. Clifford Ford married us. And thinking about the day that I said I do to my wife. 39 years ago on August the 17th. And I want you to know that if you are sitting here divorced today, you might think that because I've been married 39 years, I am not sensitive to the issue of divorce. And that is just not true. Because my wife and I have made tons of mistakes over the years. Or at least I have. I won't suck like Brian you know, did. <laughs> But, but, I walked out on my wife. And it was only by the grace of God working through my wife that we were not divorced. And I don't know if that means anything to you. I'm just telling you this. As believers, we've got to start living our life for Christ no matter what relationship we're in. It's got to all count. And next week, we'll talk about oaths. So I hope you'll be back. Let me pray for us and then the praise team will close. Why don't you stand and let's pray together. Uh, you know, I don't do this that often. If you'd like to talk to us after we pray, uh, you know, somebody will be up here even if it's just me. Father, we are grateful for this day. We, I am grateful, Lord. We are all grateful for the fact that You sent Your Son Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we might be forgiven for our sins. We are well aware, Lord, of the fact that we fall so far short. But thank You that You have saved us. And Father, help us as we go from here not to just talk about living a certain way, but to actually live that way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.